0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to go with me to Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Philippians chapter 2. As we continue in our series, Saturate, if uh, it is your first time with us this morning, let me welcome you. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship, and uh, we are delighted to have you today. Our hope is that you will go from feeling like guests to feeling like family as soon as possible, and if you're interested in getting connected in our church, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can go uh, to facebook.com forward slash groups. And you can connect with us on Facebook. You can grab some information uh, at the welcome table when you leave about us, or uh, you can just come and grab me personally, and uh, I'll be more than happy to try to connect with you uh, before you leave today. And so, again, it's great to have you. We are in a series we're calling Saturate, where we are learning together what it means to be the church that Jesus has created us to be. And we are learning together how to be disciples of the real Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. And so today, as we continue in our series, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1, and this is Paul writing. Paul's actually writing this letter in prison, and from what I hear, the good thing about being in prison is you have a lot of time on your hands, and he actually uses his time not to complain Uh, But he uses his time to write this letter to a church to share with them the good news about Jesus and how this good news is to shape their everyday life. And so look with me, Philippians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1 and read down to verse 11. Paul says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. By being born the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word that you have given us. I thank you that it is powerful, that it is active, it is living, it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And I pray that right now, through your spirit, that you will take it and that you will drive it into our hearts, that you will transform us in this moment, Father, that you will help to eliminate distractions, that you will give us attention spans to be able to, to grasp what it is that you have for us. And that it will be life transforming for our good and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. How many of you in here, I want to see a show of hands, have children? we have any parents in the house? Raise your hands. Some of you have kids. Okay, have, raise them loud and proud. Um, I actually have two kids. Um, and I just found out a couple weeks ago that my wife is expecting our third kid. And so, um, thank you very much. And uh, we're excited about this, but right now we have two kids that are running around this earth, actually running around this building somewhere. Um, we have a Wyatt, who is uh, just turned three on Friday, and he says that he loves Jesus. Uh, we have Nora Kate, who is four. Uh, she also says she loves Jesus, but uh, the Bible says you will know them by their fruits, right? Amen. And so, um, but uh, I love my kids, Uh, that's why I talk about them pretty much every other week. Uh, If you're here and if you don't like that, you can go through the next preaching cohort and you can preach and uh, you can talk about whatever you love, whether it be your kids or your dogs, uh, just not cats. And so whatever else you can come up and and you can talk about. But um, I love my kids, I thank God for them, but I would be lying if I said that being their parent was easy. In fact, if you are a parent, you know being a parent is not easy. It's actually quite difficult, and I think for two reasons. For one, it is difficult because when it comes to parenting, you can expect the unexpected. Amen? And oftentimes, the unexpected is very messy. Um, This past week, my wife actually, or actually two weeks ago, I was working on a sermon at the house, and all of a sudden, I hear from her in the living room say, Oh my gosh! You've got to see this, Jared, come and look. And so I run to the living room. I look out the back door, and there are my children running through the yard, completely naked and unashamed. Um, I have blurred this picture to keep it PG, but I can promise you I will, I definitely have the unedited version that I will use against them when they are older. But they're running around like a bunch of wild Indians. They're creating a mess, and that's just parenting, right? I mean, that's just part of it. I mean, it's just, it's just messy. Uh, Another thing that makes parenting very difficult is not only that parenting, when it comes to kids, you can expect the unexpected, but when it comes to children, they're born with this, like, instinct that says parents exist to do whatever I want, whenever they want, right? Uh, I mean, like, from the time they are born, I mean, they are screaming bloody murder, and they are wanting you to answer their every beck and call and to meet their every single need, right? And, And because of this, parenting is often difficult and the reason why is because when you think about a parent the life of a parent is basically the life of a servant right it's it's difficult it's hard it takes sacrificing your self interest and self comfort but it's also for those of you who have children you know it is a beautiful life-giving thing and the reason i share that is because as we dive into our text today what paul wants us to see is that as a christian This posture of a servant is not just something that we're to carry in a relationship with our kids, but it's the same posture we're to take in every relationship throughout our lives. It's a posture that we are to take not just with our children and our spouse, but also with our boss, with our friends, with our missional community, with our neighbors, and with our enemies. We are, as Christians, the Bible says, called to serve for the good of others and ultimately for the glory of God. And this is what Paul points to in verse 5, if you look back with me, Philippians 2 verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. When Paul says here in verse 6 that that Jesus is in the very form of God, your Bible might say in the very nature of God. And what Paul is saying here is this is, right, if you want to know what God is like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. Because Jesus, according to the Bible, is God in the flesh. He is 100% God. However, despite the fact that he is God, the Bible says, if he goes on, it says right here in verse 6, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Translation... Rather than Jesus using his godlike power and possessions and his privileges to his own advantage, he gave up everything that he had for the benefit of others. I was reading in uh, an article in Business Insider this past week, and it was talking about the top 50 wealthiest people on the planet. And moving back into the number one spot is anybody know Bill Gates. His net worth is $87.4 billion. Yes, billion with a B. Obviously, we need to pray for him because he's falling the hard times. I don't know how he's going to be able to to make it. $87.4 billion. And what this article went on to say is, though Bill Gates is the wealthiest man on this list, he is also the most generous man. It says that Bill Gates is actually committed to giving away half of his money to help with poverty, HIV and, HIV, and other infectious diseases. And as I thought of that, I thought, man, yeah, wow, he is so gracious. And yet, I, then I look at the scriptures. And I'm reminded, as it says in Psalm 24:1, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God owns everything that we see. And yet, right here in Philippians 2, we are reminded the wealthiest being in existence. He came to this world, and he didn't just give up half of his stuff. He gave up Everything. Despite the fact that he is worshipped in heaven perfectly by the angels, where there's no sickness, no sorrow, no pain or suffering. Despite the fact that that he had infinite power and riches and wealth, all that he could use for his own benefit, the Bible says that he saw the brokenness of this world. He saw that we were out of sync with the way that he intended for us to be. And in verse 7, it says that he emptied himself. He took all that he had. And he didn't keep any for himself. He gave it all away. He took on the form of a servant for you and for me. I want you to think about for a moment what this must mean. Jesus, as God from eternity past, the Bible says, big church word, was omnipresent. That means he was in all places at all times. Let me ask you this, class. When Jesus was on earth, was he omnipresent? Was he all places at all time? No. In fact, there's times where cities would say, Hey, Jesus, can you come and heal my, my family member? Or can you come and feed us? And what would he say? I can't. I don't have the time. I can't be there and be here. Uh, think about this. As God, Jesus from eternity past, another big word, was omnipotent. That means he was all powerful. Was Jesus, as a man on earth, all powerful? No. He ran out of energy. He had to stop and eat. He had to sleep, right? He didn't have infinite power and energy on earth. Think about this. Jesus as God, another theological word, was omniscient. That means he was all-knowing. But when Jesus came to this earth, was he all-knowing? No. The Bible says that Jesus grew in knowledge and wisdom. How can you grow in something if you have all of it infinitely? When he would go up to people, he would ask them a question Hey, how long has your son or your daughter been this way? He didn't ask them as if he could catch him in a lie. He really didn't know. He said, I myself do not know when I will return again. Jesus, as God, had infinite wealth, and yet on the earth, the Bible says he had no place to lay his head. Jesus Christ, think about this, who is fully God, for you and me became fully human. He never stopped being God, but he laid his God card down. He emptied himself of his power and his possessions and his privileges. And he lived as a human. But not only as a human, the Bible says he lived as a servant in verse 7. In Matthew chapter 20, it's a very interesting story. James and John, some of Jesus' disciples, are with their mom and they put their mom up, I guess is what they did, to talk to Jesus on their behalf. And I don't know if it's because they were intimidated of Jesus or maybe, I don't know, maybe she's like a helicopter mom. And she like just couldn't let go of her kids. And she's like, hey babies, let me go talk to Jesus about you and see if I can kind of you know, help get you situated and set your life up and all that. And so like, she goes on behalf of her boys to talk to Jesus. And here's what she wants to talk to him about. She believes that Jesus one day was going to usher in this new earthly kingdom. He was going to sit on his throne and just kind of rule with an iron fist. He was going to overthrow the Roman government. And so in Matthew 20, she goes up and she says, Hey, Jesus, when you come into glory, when you come into power, would you please do me a favor? Put James at your right hand and John at your left. In other words, put them in a position of power and honor and prestige. And I love Jesus' response. He answers with a profound and absolutely countercultural way. If we look at verse 26 and 28, I think that we have it on the screen. He says, it shall not be among you. For whoever would want to be great among you must first be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must first be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, look at this, and give his life as a ransom for many. Do you hear what Jesus just said? He just redefined greatness for us. He says, hey, do you want to be great? Don't try to be first. Be last. He says, you want to be honored? Don't walk around thinking, man, I want to just to live my life in such a way where everybody serves me. But rather, he said, seek to serve others. This, he says, is true greatness. And then Jesus modeled this for us. Remember in John 13, after Jesus and and his disciples were walking on this nasty, filthy road in Palestine, what does Jesus do? He stops... He gets on his knees and he washes the dirt off of his disciples' feet. Guys, this is the posture in this culture of a slave. Only slaves would do something like this. Only the lowliest of low. And yet this is exactly what Jesus does for his disciples. The God of the universe gets down and serves his disciples in this way. And I just want to ask you this morning, guys, think about this. What kind of God does this? What kind of God gets down on his knees and washes his creation's feet. Jesus Christ is more popular than you and I will ever be. More people will read his book than any other books combined. He literally split time in half with A.D. and B.C., and he gets down on his feet and he says, now watch me. He gets down on his knees and he says, watch me clean the grime and the dirt right off of your feet. I'll never forget an evening where I came home from work and my wife had a bucket of water and a towel sitting by our bed. And I said, what are you doing? She said, well, I want to wash your feet. So if you're like, i are like, I've never washed my husband's feet. And my wife is just awesome like that, I guess. And um, I remember, like, it was, it was honestly very humbling. If you've ever had your feet washed, you know this. Um, and, and I just told her, I was like, I don't want you to wash my feet. I felt like by her washing my feet, I was absolutely degrading my wife. And as hard as it was for me to eventually let her to wash my feet, think about the God of the universe who created you and owns it all, getting down and doing likewise. Because this is one of the reasons I believe the gospel. Because nobody would make this stuff up. I mean, this is insane that Jesus, God in the flesh, flesh would get down on his knees and wipe all this filth and dirt off his disciples' feet. But this is the posture that Jesus came to take. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. And that's what Paul points us to in verses uh, 8 and following. He says, and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Maybe for some of you, you have been taught that Jesus went, against, went to the cross against his own will. That he was forced there. The reality is, in John 10, 18, Jesus says that no one takes my life, I lay it down, and I pick it back up. Jesus was not forced to the cross for you and me. The Roman Empire did not make Jesus go to the cross. God the Father and some sort of celestial child abuse did not force Jesus to go to the cross. But no, when Jesus went, the Bible says he did it willfully and joyfully. So that in him, our greatest need could be met. And when Jesus went to the cross, not only did he die the most painful death that one could die, he died the most shameful death a person could die. Do you realize to die via crucifixion, what they would do is when they would nail you, they would place the cross in a public square where people could come by, mock you, laugh at you, and spit at you. It was an execution device that was reserved for the most vile and wicked of criminals. And yet, the only sinless man to ever live would die in this way. Even though he could have called a legion of angels to come and rescue him. Jesus stayed on the cross, and he took our shame, and he took our sins, so that now when we trust in him, we can experience the forgiveness and the freedom, the salvation and the satisfaction that we are all longing for. And you see, it's in this place, this low place, in the middle of this mess and humiliation and absolute servanthood, Paul writes in verse 9, that God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. In the greatest example of what we will ever see of servanthood, Jesus models for us what true greatness is that He taught to James and John. Rather than using His power... And his possessions and his privileges for his own preferences and pleasure. He gave up everything that he had. His own life for you and for me. And as a result in that low place, the lower Jesus got, the more God exalted him. And then it says that he placed his name above every other name. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me ask you this morning, have you confessed Jesus as Lord? You need to know today, one day you will. And you will either do it in this life as his friend, or you will do it in eternity as his enemy. If you refuse to reject Jesus as Lord of your life now, you will in eternity suffer just as he did on the cross but every second of every day with no relief. This is what the scripture teaches, and that's why my hope is today, guys, listen, life is short. I just got word today, a a friend of mine died at 6 a.m. this morning, young man. Life is short. Some of you this morning need to become a Christian. You need not to try harder to be better You need to surrender. You need to step down off your throne. You need to stop trying to be the king of your own life and bow down to Jesus as the king, as the Lord. You need to say to him, I want to be your servant. Stop trying to just make your schedule and make your budget and then just hand it off to Jesus and and have him sign off on it at the end. But at the very beginning, say, here it all is. I trust you with everything. And what I believe that you have done in me, I now want you to do through me so that others can experience your kingdom, so they can see what you are like, so they can, they can get the same grace and mercy and love that you have poured out for me through your life. Guys, this is what it means to be a Christian. It is what it means to be a disciple who seeks to make disciples in the everyday life. This is why Jesus, in Matthew 28, 19, when he gives us the Great Commission, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, he says, if we can put it on the screen, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As he talked about last week, this is an identity piece. When he says, baptize in the name of the Father, that's a reminder that God is now our dad. We are his children, and therefore we are brothers and sisters, and we're called to love each other as family. Next week, As we send Rusty off, as he comes back, we'll talk about living as missionaries and how when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's a reminder that we are now missionaries sent out in the power of God for the purposes of God. But right there in the middle, when it says we are baptized in the name of the Son, it is a reminder that Jesus is our King and that we are called to bow down to Him as Lord and we are to serve Him by serving others. This is why as a church we are committed not just to proclaiming the gospel with our mouths, but demonstrating the gospel with our hands. It's why we call you each week to serve one another and to serve people in our city. There's all sorts of ways, guys, that we can embrace our servant identity to one another. Every week, I know Luke makes a call for people to serve in children's ministry. That's a great way to embrace your servant identity. There's nothing... That says a servant more than getting back there with a bunch of crazy kids and providing a safe and fun environment for them to learn the gospel. If children's ministry is not for you, you can serve on the hospitality team. You can serve on the security team. You can come up here and play an instrument, serve by playing in a band. Just stop being a consumer. Reject consumerism. Take on the mindset of Christ. Say, I'm here to use my gifts to serve others. One of the ways that you can do this is by taking food to your missional community members. Don't show up empty-handed, thinking, man, I hope everybody feeds me, but say, man, I'm gonna take food so I can serve and feed others. A great way that you can serve one another, and I'm really talking to myself here too, because this is what I struggle with, is listen. Be a good listener. Hush. Long enough to listen to people around you. We are so quick in our fight clubs, our missional communities to talk about our stories, and what all we're doing and what all we're struggling with and what's going on in our lives without ever listening to anybody else. Be a good listener. We can serve each other that way. We, we, we embrace our servant identity by doing this. We, we embrace our servant identity by helping those who are in our church and have practical needs that need to be met. I mean, like a few weeks ago, I know that we had a couple in our missional community that couldn't pay their rent. he had had some illness and couldn't work. The community came around and we served them by helping them pay the rent. That's one way that we serve one another. We do it by providing babysitters for married couples so they can go on dates. We do it by helping each other move from one house to the next. I was so blessed last week. Um, I found out on Thursday that uh, my wife and I we had sold our house and I found out we were closing on another house on Monday, and we had to be out of our house and in another one on Monday. And that would have been fine, but the problem is my wife had just found out she was pregnant. She was having a garage sale the next day, and I was leaving for Southern Arkansas to speak at a men's retreat for the weekend. And so I was gone all weekend, got back late Saturday night, came here. After this, we had an immersed class until 2.30, a membership class. And and I knew it was going to be crazy. How in the world are we going to get all this stuff out into a home? You know what I did? I just sent a message to some of the men in our missional community. I said, man, if y'all have any time this afternoon. It would really serve us if you could help us get some stuff out. And I expected to get over there for the, for the merch class and see a few things on a trailer. You know, when I got over there, literally all the stuff, except for our bed, was out of our house and into the other home. like so you're talking about feeling loved in that moment and just served and have my affection stirred towards them and Christ. This is what we do. We are called to serve one another. But not just are we called to live a service to one another. We're called to live as servants to people in our city. And that's why as mission of communities... We don't just stand on a street corner with a bullhorn proclaiming the gospel. We do proclaim the gospel, but we also want to serve people in tangible ways. That's why last year we had a missional community that gave away 145,000 pounds of food to feed the hungry in our city. It's why we provide clothes for family that needs clothes. It's why we have Walker 1034, which is a ministry to where if your kid wants to play sports but can't afford the equipment, they get free equipment. So that no kid in the city has to miss out on sports because of money. It's why every Sunday night we give away hot dogs at Labor Park. And bless kids and build a relationship with them. It's why we have a missional community that takes cheese balls and root beer to a nursing home. And just hangs out with other people. Or aged people. And just listens to them. And loves them. It's why we have missional communities in youth sports. Trying to build a relationship with with the kids and throwing for them. It's why in June, this is the shameless plug for my missional community, I'm starting a new missional community to reach internationals in our city. Did you know right now in Paraguay, there are 15 different languages being spoken? Did y'all know that? We have like 14 or 15 different countries in our city right now that are just displaced from their homes. The nations are right here. We have an opportunity to love them. And so we're launching a missional community in June to help them learn English. Right? To help them get to the grocery store and things like that. These are the things we do. And listen, I want you to hear this. We do not do these things to earn God's love. We do not do these things because that's the right thing to do. You know why we do them? Because there was a day when we were lost and without hope. There was a day where Jesus, being rich in his mercy, came as a servant and we believe came to meet our greatest need. We believe with all of our hearts this gospel that Jesus refused to grasp the authority that was rightfully his so that we who continue to wrongfully grasp the authority that is not ours might be forgiven. We believe that Jesus became poor so that we may become rich in him. We believe that he really did humble himself by taking on the form of a servant so that we who have been slaves to sin now might be set free to serve God and serve him. Maybe for some of you is a master who came and said, I didn't come for you to serve me. I came to serve you, to give you my very life so that as a result, you may have experience and then only then can you live as a servant to others servant in the way that he has served